Alright. Alright. This week, we learned that um, entire documentaries can be made about white men's unhealthy parasocial relationships with Stanley Kubrick. A bunch of sycophants. Like, they are off their rockers, can't can't handle everyday realities. I don't know what's happening. Room 237 is the most unhinged piece of media I've ever watched, I would say. Like, I think it knows what it's doing, right? I think they know that they're a bit ridiculous, but that doesn't mean they haven't dedicated hours and hours and weeks and months and years of their lives to also looking at Also, for a movie about the making of The Shining, there's a lot of issues conspicuously left out, like how Shelley Duvall is, like, still Was sick. Was emotionally abused. <laughs> suffering the consequences of how Kubrick treated her on this movie set. But I guess we oh can just God. talk about faking the moon landing instead. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and like whatever clumsy metaphors they think that Stanley Kubrick was maybe oh making. Oh my it, God. I mean, we're not that it, smart. Like, I'm I know, not that smart. But no. I, I just don't think it's that complicated. Um, the one, there are a couple bits like and theories that I did like, but we'll get into it later. But anyway. We'll we're talking about the Before shining. That. <laughs> We're talking about the Shining has snow in it. We have seasonal depression. It's winter. Tis the season. Tis the season. Uh, happy it's also holidays. One of happy holidays. Um, don't kill your families. I think this is like it's one of my favorite. Maybe po- probably my favorite movie ever. I just like. I mean, it is. I a watched it twice. It's for sure. so beautiful. It's so sad. It's so beautiful. It's scary, like, every, and, like, I understand why people would, like, spend hours of their lives doing it, maybe not to the level of those fanatics, but, like, because you can watch it over and over again, and, like, it never feels old. It always feels fresh, and every scene is a painting. I've only seen it once or twice before this, Um, and... I don't know if I've ever told you this anecdote, but the first time I ever heard of The Shining was from the movie Twister, because remember, they're watching it on (laughs) the, like, at the drive-in, and you see the twins in the hallway, and I was petrified, like, when I was a little kid and I first saw Twister, I was like, that movie looks so scary, I had bad dreams because of just that one shot of the twins in the hallway, it's so funny. But yeah, uh, then as a, gr- a real person, I watched it and obviously loved it. But I've kind of just avoided it because of, like, I just, like, you can really see Shelley Duvall unraveling in real time. It's very painful to watch, honestly. It is a bit painful. I I mean, you know the, I think you know my anecdote is that this is, like, one of the first movies I have a memory of seeing. And I... And it's, like, my reason for explaining to people why I'm such a creep is that that the story is that my dad was watching this movie. And my dad doesn't watch a lot of movies, but when he does, he's always on Turner Classic Movies. Um, And this was on, and I sat down, and I was, like, two or three, and I watched the whole thing. And then this and 101 Dalmatians were in my rotation, and I would beg and cry to watch The Shining and have been watching it on repeat since I was a toddler. That's so weird. It's creepy, it's weird, it's part of my psyche. It's like really way, way, way deep in there. At no point in this movie is Jack Nicholson attractive. He is (laughs) earth-shatteringly terrifying. Okay, I think I've pinpointed it. The scene that like 
why is when he's alone. Because when I <laughs> when we were texting, that was the first time I watched it for this for the recording. And the second time I did, I was like, it's when he's laughing out loud, when he's sitting in front of uh, Lloyd and he's like laughing. Like, I don't know. It's like the look on his face. I don't know if it's this. I don't know if it's Batman. It's like a little bit of everything. I was just like really attracted to Jack Nicholson in the 80s. I don't understand it. I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain it. It It's the flannel shirt. It's the way he swings the axe. I don't know. I Did you see that shot in room 237 when he is like dancing and jumping up and down practicing swinging the axe? Yeah. He he almost hits the PA that's walking by him. And the guy's like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. You can see that the people that are acting in this movie, the people that are making this movie, there's just a level of like obsession and Uh existence outside of like reality that is unhealthy and you can feel a lot of like frenetic energy on that set i just like love watching it it's a beautiful movie it's a masterpiece but i feel emotionally exhausted after i finished it obviously took me three days as you know that's my of course that's my uh yeah vivian kubrick's like behind the scenes documentary was like yeah, he's, like, he, like, has to, like, hype himself up into these scenes. He's, like, doing axe throwing for hours. He's, like, get running, going up and down the stairs for hours. Shelley Duvall is, like, Stanley Kubrick's telling people not to be sympathetic to her because it doesn't help her performance. He's yelling at her when she can't hear over the sound of the Talk about snow machines. Fridged. Yeah, it's just, like. Wendy got fridged and Shelley got fridged, for fuck's sake. I don't know that Wendy got fridged. I think Wendy no. got fridged. But the theory I have for why Wendy got fridged, I'll tell you a little later. Okay, you explain that to me because I, I don't got know theories. That I agree. Yeah. I have th- I have theories. Um but I don't know, should we get into it before we But like literally give the goose away for free? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Ew, that's like I only think about that metaphor in reference to virginity. That's what they Ew. used to tell you. You never heard that? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess I just heard it so much. Why would they buy the cow like... when they can get the milk for free? Yeah. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. I don't want anyone to buy the cow. Just kidding. Someone already did. Yeah, like when you were like 22. Mm. Um. Okay, I guess I shouldn't have celebrated getting a thousand Instagram followers because three people unfollowed us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's hard. You know, you bounce up and down, but it was an achievement, you know? It was a moment. We're have, at, we were at the 1K mark for, I have a like, screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, story credits by Stephen King. You ever heard of him? I don't know. Stephen King, not loving mm. this adaptation. Suck a nut. I, I can't stand Stephen King. He seems like such a petulant child. Uh, anyway. He's like, I wrote a perfect book and you made it bad. I'm a perfect little boy. I read I read The Shining and this is like a far superior piece of art, honestly. <laughs> um, screenplay credits by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson. And then score, I have to give a shout out to Rachel Elkind and Wendy Carlos for doing it up. The score is beautiful. And I Perfect. guess there was more of it that Kubrick cut for some unknown reason and used classical music instead. Probably because he was like, I can't share the glory with women with vaginas. (laughs) Um, Also, I never knew why I was so scared of that song, The Midnight, The Stars, and You, that they play at the end. Oh, it's because... 
I was like, oh, because I saw this at some point. It was like, because every time because you hear of the, the... that musical cue, you're like, oh, freaky. All yeah, like the musical cues are just so like even the beginning, you're like winding through this idyllic, scenic mountain landscape, and it's like a funeral march. It's yeah, it's so good. Um, so we open on a yellow, yellow VW bug, not uh, red. It's not red, guys. Uh, driving up. Can and I just winding. say <laughs> the teal Helvetica? I love. Oh, I love it. I love it. Love, Love a font. These fonts are. I mean, let's go back to seventies movies fonts. They were much better. And seventies movies uh, bushes. And bushes, yeah. Um, maybe not like seventies movies married couple dynamics, but are they much better now in movies? I don't know. No. Um. So we're so title card reads the interview. Jack Torrance strolls into the Stanley Hotel to interview with Mister Ullman for a caretaker caretaker position. The hotel will be closed for the winter and they need someone to maintain the place while it's vacant. Ullman warns Jack of the solitude and the isolation that comes with the job. In the winter of 1970, winter caretaker Charles Grady came up with his wife and two young daughters. He suffered a complete mental breakdown, according to Ullman, and butchered his family with an axe and shot himself to death. Jack assures Ullman he'll love the solitude and his wife will be fascinated by the story. Speaking as a wife who loves true crime, I would also. Oh, I would love this. This is like perfect, perfect. I'd be like, hell yeah, sign me up. Oh my gosh. Adam would would be, he would hate it so much. Honestly, without the shining part and the murders and like the ghost slowly driving your, you know, romantic partner insane to the point of murdering you. (laughs) Perfect scenario. Beautiful plenty of food no other people um yeah i would like books Books, movies love it it'd be perfect i could do so many puzzles i think six months five or six months is a little too long but i think i do this for it's like it was like when we were in quarantine if i learned anything the dog had a blast yeah i loved it i like thrived in quarantine I did puzzles i learned how to play video games yeah the dog went on like Hours-long walks to the point where his hip was hurting. Yeah, it was great. My hips hurt. My hips hurt all the time. Um, <laughs> My hips don't lie. They hurt. <laughs> <laughs> they scream with pain. Uh, <laughs> back right. at home in Denver, Jack's wife Wendy and their son Danny eat lunch and discuss discuss their upcoming stay at the hotel. Tony, ima- Danny's imaginary friend who speaks from Danny's mouth, says they aren't excited to stay there. While brushing his teeth, Danny asks Tony for a vision, and we see the famous blood pouring from the elevators, twin girls, actually sisters in blue dresses, and Danny looking shocked. Wendy is called a doctor to lick in on Danny because this vision caused an episode. After asking Danny some questions about Tony, the doctor tells Wendy this episode was totally normal and purely emotional. Wendy tells her that they just moved from to Denver um, and that... Danny had a sort of recent injury after starting school when, and that's when Tony first appeared. Jack was drinking and angry, and he dislocated Danny's shoulder, but has since gotten sober. Blah. On closing day at the hotel, our little Torrance family has driven up in their VW bug. Uh, at the hotel, Ullman shows Wendy and Jack around while Danny, alone in the game room, sees the blue dress sisters again. 
During the tour, we meet Dick Halloran, the head chef. He takes Wendy and Danny to tour the kitchen while Ullman finishes up with Jack. Halloran refers to Danny as Doc, which is a nickname um, that Wendy and Jack gave to him that she finds strange because she knows that she never mentioned it. Immediately after in the pantry, Halloran communicates telepathically with Danny. Um, Ullman and Jack take Wendy away while Halloran and Danny have ice cream. Halloran tells Danny... So cute. Um, also, like, Scatman Crothers, do, one, does a great job um, and was very emotionally traumatized by this movie. But him crying and talking about working with, uh, with fuck, I forgot his name. It's, I totally think it's fun. also Danny. Is it also Danny? Um, was so sad. He just seemed like... Like, too soft a person to work on a movie like this. Like, he Wait, was I really... didn't see this interview. Um, it was in the, it was in the Vivian Kubrick. Like, in, like, she talks to all the... Yeah, Danny Lloyd. All the cast. Danny Lloyd, yeah. So, he was, like, getting, like, yeah, he teared up talking about what, like, a good kid he was. Um, um, well, he was a really good yeah. small actor, too. And him and, the, he got the role because him and Jack Nicholson are friends. We're friends. Danny Lloyd? Um, <laughs> yeah, him Crothers. and Danny Lloyd. <laughs> Scatman Crothers and Jack Nicholson. Uh, so Halloran tells Danny that he and his grandma both had what he calls the shining um, and that there are others like them. Danny doesn't want to talk about it because Tony um, told him not to tell him, not to tell anyone, especially his parents. Um, Danny asks Halloran if there's something bad at the hotel. Um, and then Halloran explains that when bad things happen, they can leave a trace and warns Danny never to go into room 237. Uh, we get a montage of hotel life. Jack is only concerned about his writing and not spending time with his family. Wendy and Danny play and go through the Overlook's 13 foot high hedge maze, which is so scary. Like the idea of getting caught in there, that scares me. I know like kind of like, Suspending your belief and um, seeing just, like, the unbelievable nature of the sets is kind of, like, part of the movie. But I was like, mm-hmm. why is this hedge maze lit in the off-season and perfectly in- manicured? I was going to say, like, who is trimming this hedge maze? It's been, you know, yeah. like, why what is it, it going to look like at the end? Yeah, why is it so green in fall? Uh, so then we get a title card Tuesday Wendy interrupts Jack while he's writing and he screams at her for disrupting him and that she is no longer allowed to come into the great room um, while he is there and tells her to get the fuck out Thursday uh, Jack stares creepily out the window as Wendy and Danny are playing in the snow it is not a normal man's face like I know that Jack (laughs) Nicholson is acting but he is like Pulling Acting. from something horrifying that is inside of him. Like, I Capital believe... A. I believe he is a demon. Like, Psychotic. Or I don't know what is happening. Yeah, I'm afraid. That's what... I think that's part of the reason why I'm so attracted to him. Because he seems like such a good actor. I don't know. He like seems like he he's would so, eat you. He's so... I mean, it's just like... When he's making all those faces, when he's talking to Grady, and he's like... Oh, it's just like so weird. This it's just like I'm gonna do no one else could have done that. <laughs> so upsetting. 
when yeah, he's it's doing not... the when he's doing the like three little pigs monologue, I was like, I am shaken to my core. I don't think but I can so ever like good. be like one eye sleeping <laughs> with one eye open the rest of my life. <laughs> but that's why it's just he's so good. I don't know. He's so scary. He makes that like he's just staring out the window in a cable knit sweater and it's horrifying. Anyway. I like I, see it in my mind's eye. I'm not well. I'm not well. This is a truly uh, scary movie. It's a scary movie. Uh, Saturday, Wendy tries the telephone, but the lines are down. She uses the radio in Ullman's office to call the Forest Service. They tell her that several lines are down, and they'll probably stay that way until spring. She seems desperate for human contact and tries to chat with this Forest Service worker. He was but a he's cutie. Gotta go. He was a cutie. I was she like, go take Danny and go like, hook up with the Forest Ranger. Uh, I just hate Jack so much. Like, yeah, what an abusive terrible. piece of shit. Like, even before even he went pre, crazy. Yeah. Pre, yeah, pre Stanley Hotel stay. Um, while tricycling around the hotel, Danny encounters the sisters who say hello and tell him to come and play with them forever. And Why are they British? A- come and play with us forever. I was like, what? Well, Grady's British. Why are they all British? I don't know. They're immigrants. Answer me. (laughs) Um, uh, And he sees a vision of their mutilated bodies and blood on the walls. Danny sneaks into his room to get a toy while Jack is sleeping. They have a very awkward encounter. And Danny asks Jack if he would ever hurt him or his mom. And Jack assures him he loves him and would never do anything um, to harm him. It's very menacing. Wednesday, while playing alone in the hallway, a ball rolls to Danny, to Danny from no one. He calls out to his mom, and we see uh, the door to two, room 237 is open when it had previously been locked. Wendy is working in the boiler room and hears Jack crying out in his sleep. He tells her he had a horrible dream that he killed them and cut them into pieces. Danny walks into the great room in a trance, sucking his thumb with a torn sweater uh, at first, Wendy doesn't see his distress, but she approaches seeing a bruise on his neck. She carries Danny away, screaming that it was Jack who did this to him. In a rage, uh, Jack walks into the gold room, sits down at the bar, and talks to Lloyd, ghost ghost bartender. I like Lloyd. What a terrible... I like Lloyd. He was also very creepy. Um, like, if you're going to spend your entire existence as a ghost, I wouldn't want to do it at work. That sounds horrible. I mean, it's not about the job. It's about the hotel, man. I guess. What a cute glass. Guess where I got it. My favorite marketplace. Etsy marketplace. Etsy! (laughs) Um, Yeah. If I was going to be a ghost, I'd want to be... I don't know. Laying in my bed. Watching Housewives, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, I would love to spend my whole existence. And the thing is, you could spend your entire afterlife just watching and rewatching every season of every franchise of Real Housewives and probably discover new delightful things each time. Every time. I, like, I know that the idea of ghosts is, like, it's kind of like a wish, you know, that you, you know, when you die, you have some sort of existence afterwards but that to me is more horrifying than just i just want to be being no, dead God. and like yeah whoop. yeah it's kind of insane to me. I mean, existence 
I guess. You know, I'm a nihilist. I'm depressed. I hate other people. <laughs> all of the above. But the idea of, like, having sentient thought for the rest of eternity is oh, horrifying. God. Like... Existence I I is wanna die. agony. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to be gone. Like, I want to enjoy my life for as long as it li- goes, and then I want to blink out of existence and be forgotten. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> yeah. please do. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know. Stick That's around I don't, I don't really get Christianity because I'm like, well, if you go to heaven, you still have to walk around. You have to and be, be with alive, other people. You know? <laughs> yeah, like it sounds like no a thanks. nightmare. I don't, like, I loved my mom, but I don't really want to see her again. No offense, mom. Like. But it's also just like. It's a, not comforting he, to think of running into my mom's ghost in heaven, you know? Yeah. That's wouldn't you, just more like, deranged than anything else. I wouldn't want her, you know, I wouldn't want someone to be around. Like, I wouldn't yeah, want. What are you like, doing up there? <laughs> I hope better things for you than sticking around wherever I am. Yeah. You know? And then a thing that used to, like puzzle me I mean this is like not what we're talking about but a thing that used to puzzle me when I was little is like if you go die and go to heaven like if I died and went to heaven right now like would my mom and my grandparents be like the age I ideally want them to be like or like I don't know just like was always so weird to me the concept that like somebody else's personhood was like floating around with like an amorphous timeline Right. I, I don't like it. It's weird. Or we're all just like big blobs. I don't we're know. We're literally my, all meat sacks. Like, come on. My theory about ghosts, right, is that uh, I feel like we've ta- maybe talked about this before, but that time, the way that we perceive time is false, right? We don't perceive time as it happens. Time is simultaneous. And right. that we exist in four dimensions but can only perceive three of them. So that ghosts and, like, refractions and hauntings and whatever is just, like, glimpses of the fourth dimension, glimpses of time. Well, a lot of people say that's what, um, that is also, like, what greys are, or, like, aliens. They're just, like, the, like, sometimes the, like, fabric gets thin between dimensions, which Mm -hmm. I think is more realistic. So much more realistic. aliens wanting to come here, you know? (laughs) Like, please, yeah, like, what are we doing? (laughs) They maybe they want to catch up on the newest season of Housewives. Who knows? But they have real Housewives <laughs> in Mars, and it's more bonkers <laughs> for sure. Good times. Um, which I think is like this movie also makes sense in that is that like he's like the hauntings aren't like these brand like people like ghosts coming up on them in bed. No, and, like, it's pulling just sheets like off. multiple it's, like, realities existing on top of each other. On, yeah, and that, like, this hotel is somewhere where those lines get blurred, which I think is also interesting and much more interesting it's, than it's this scarier. being a metaphor for him yeah. faking the moon landing, whatever. I can't even. And, like, <laughs> the guy that's like, oh, my God, I, like, uncovered Stanley Kubrick's, like, fucking allusion to the genocide of indigenous peoples but he can't be bothered to learn the names of specific tribes or use like appropriate terminology or like hire indigenous people i don't know yeah like what wild he's like this calumet baking soda broke the case wide open <laughs> i was like shut the fuck up it broke your brain wide open for yeah sure, like you're but... not well bill <laughs> the most like i mean we'll get to it but he said some really offensive stuff Oh and, God! Yeah, every time his voice came on, I was like, "Oh!" And then I went on my phone. And I was out. 
Um, in a rage. Oh, yeah. Jack's in the gold room, sits down at the bar talking to Lloyd, orders uh, bourbon, uh, and rants about how much of a burden his family is um, and goes yeah. over his abuse Welcome of Danny. Welcome to life, buddy. Uh, Wendy runs in with a bat saying that there is a crazy room and ro- crazy woman in room 237 and uh, she tried to strangle Danny. She tried to strangle Danny. Uh, Can I Wendy- just say she's such a great actress. <laughs> so and good. it felt like shitty and offensive that Kubrick only his only like rationale for hiring her was that she's good at crying. Like he just she's made good this at woman like physically drain herself sobbing for like 16 hours a day for like whatever it was, like many weeks. Wasn't it like almost months. a year? Yeah. Yeah, it was months and months. Um cuz the somebody I forget who it was was supposed to be working on another set and this one was supposed to be wrapped up in 6 months and it definitely was not. Um, I think it was like fifty six weeks or something. I said, but that's like we talk a lot about Jack. Ni- we have so far talked about a lot about Jack Nicholson, like yelling and screaming and how difficult that is. But it's also extremely difficult to like bring up those like emotions of crying and screaming over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah, I know. Ugh. God, Shelly Duvall, you I'm sorry, so Shelley. Also, Shelly Duvall. I just like. I, someone needs to put a hit out on Dr. Phil, okay? See, yeah, that man doesn't that need to so exist anymore. That was so disgusting. She's just like, I want to paint a painting of her because her skin is so white and she's got just like the reddest little nose. She's so And cute. like her and her black hair, I love it. Um, so at home in Miami, um, Halloran watches the news of the huge okay. storm in Colorado. This is, like, the most racist fucking portrayal. Oh, God, it's so racist. I mean, I feel like I'm just so tired of being like, wow, the only black person in this movie was treated so poorly and unfairly. Mm-hmm. But here we are. But here we are. Uh, another yes, magical Crothers. Negro, another black man moving the, like, trajectory of white characters forward. Here we go. I'm also wondering, spoiler alert, who's the... First person to die in this movie. Or. Is it? Is it the only black man in the movie? Um, Sorry, I made that weird kind of ableist noise. <sighs> um, so, yeah, so he's watching the news of the huge storm in Colorado when he gets a telepathic call from Danny. Bring, bring. It's this boy you met once. In room 237, Jack finds a hot naked woman in a bathtub. They make out, but it turns out she's a decrepit, decaying oh God, old, old lady. Ew. Oh no! She her body is literally decaying, and she's like, she's made of moss. But I don't know. Okay, but the like, even if her body can still be decaying, and she can be like, she could be a young decaying person. Why does she have to be like haggard? Like, ah, 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 ah. That is so that like that scene also like when I was a kid that I, really think I with understood you. yeah it stuck with me for sure the laughing but I didn't understand that she was decaying and I kind of thought that that's like what old people's bodies looked like all the time was just like look like like pond scum yeah so well a- thanks wow. for nothing. so ageist so <laughs> um, ageist. Despite being initially freaked out, when Jack returns to their apartment, he tells Wendy he didn't see anything and believes Danny injured himself because he's, what, gaslighting her. Of course. 
When Wendy suggests they leave the hotel for Danny's sake, he freaks the fuck out and claims she's trying to fuck up his life and take away this great job opportunity. Uh, he's not even doing the work. She is. She's she's down there with the boiler. Oh, my God. Uh, during his tantrum, Jack stumbles upon a party in the gold room and appears to be the 1920s. A waiter spills avocat, uh, which I didn't look up. Did you look up what it is? It's probably yeah, egg whites about- and yellow it's- chartreuse. We talked about this. We texted about it. I, said I it You texted delicious. me that it's a drink. It's like Did egg you... whites, um, like heavy cream and brandy, basically. Oh. Ugh. Delicious. It sounds like basically. I do love egg whites. I would yeah. love a Pisco. It does sound like an egg nut. I love a Pisco sour with egg whites. Uh, I can't get any better. I know. I, like, usually if there's a drink on the menu with egg whites, I will order it. It's just the best, like feeling and then you know your bartender gets bitchy Hates about you. it like i'm sorry you put it on the menu i'm gonna order it it's they I did not put it on the menu someone else put it on the menu and now they have to make it but as okay, a person I'm who's sorry. had you to make what? them that was you're right i'm sorry i've had to make them and it is very annoying especially because i mean if you there are certain drinks like Pisco sour, whiskey sour, egg whites, cool. It's delicious. I get it. It will take me a little bit longer and put me behind. What but about that's a gin fine. fizz? I understand. If you order a Ramos gin fizz, I hope you burn <laughs> in hell. You are the worst piece of shit walking okay, around. Okay, but I like, I would never walk into a place that didn't have like that specialty cocktail listed and be like, make this for me. If it's like. And I would normally only get one round that is, like, an annoying-ass drink, and then I would go to something easier. If it's dead, if you're in there and it's totally quiet, fine. If you sit down at a, you know, I would still probably not like you a lot, but whatever. But if it's wild crazy and you order a Ramos Gin Fizz, go jump off a cliff. Don't ever. You heard it here first. Don't do it. This is industry (laughs) tips from Rebecca, which is... (laughs) definitely what this podcast is about it's about it's what it's about but if honestly out there I never almost was like, had a i almost was like we should order i should send a bottle of advocate to rebecca for recording <laughs> but then i like ran out of time uh yeah i would have had some maybe i'll try to make one and put it on the tiktok or something um you say we're gonna make tiktoks every week and we never do so i okay so i tried to make a tiktok the other day this is way off topic but i tried to make a tiktok the other day and i thought we got three minutes but i only had one minute and then my script was like totally thrown out the window and then i had to go to work so i was like i can't that's that's how it is yeah okay so yeah it's a traditional dutch alcoholic beverage from eggs sugar and brandy it's custard like ew (sighs) I would eat. I, I would drink know. it. I would eat it. Yeah, you would have to eat it because it's a custard. Um, so it's also like if you've never had an egg white cocktail, order one because even though it may sound oh, they're weird, they're so good. They're so good. Oh um, my gosh! It's make like, sure it's somewhere that they know what they're doing because if you're not like emulsifying the egg whites, you could get a tummy ache. But anyway. So, a waiter Thank you for wanting to spills. prevent tummy aches in the... Don't get a tummy ache, yeah. In the people um, that listen. So, he spills it on Jack. Uh, they clean it up in the washroom, and he reveals that he is Delbert Grady and says that Jack has always been the caretaker at the Overlook Hotel and warns him that Danny is trying to bring Halloran to the hotel and help him help them help the family by using his ESP. 
Wendy discovers Danny repeating red rum over and over in Tony's voice, who says that Danny is no longer there. Will you please do uh, an impression? Red rum! Red rum! (laughs) It's so scary. Kids are scary. It's very scary. Also, yeah, Danny Lloyd didn't know that this was a horror movie. Like, and he and Stanley Kubrick were really close. And Stanley Kubrick sent him Christmas cards. Like, it's just like he was a piece of shit to some people and really nice to others. I don't know. Can you rephrase um, that? What? He was a piece of shit to women. To women, yeah. <laughs> I think really he nice no. Nah, he was also probably a piece of shit to Scatman Crothers, who I think he made redo his four scenes like millions and millions of times. Um, Boy, babe. Jack. Oy vey. Jack has disabled the radio. Oh, wait. Did I skip? Okay. Uh, yeah. Jack disables the radio, and when neither he nor the Forest Service can reach the hotel, when neither Halloran nor the Forest Service can reach the hotel, Halloran flies into Denver from Miami. Which? Uh, he drives. Why? I know. You deserve to live your happy little Stay life. Stay in Miami. Miami. Yeah. Uh, he runs a snowcat to get to the hotel despite the terrible weather conditions and and road closures, etc. Wendy takes a baseball bat to go talk to Jack in the Great Hall and discovers he hasn't written anything but all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy over and over Another again. Another terrifying scene, yeah. Um, when Jack finds her, they argue about Danny and his need to leave the hotel. He taunts and threatens her until she finally hits him in the head with the bat sending him falling down the stairs. She drags him to the pantry and locks him inside. When she tells him she's going to take Danny to this, in the snowcat into town, Jack reveals he's fucked. He's fucked with them. After leaving, after she leaves, Grady knocks on the pantry door and lets out, lets Jack out to finish his I wrote quote, business. Dad ass because the shot of Jack Nicholson from behind. I do have to admit, like the. The booty was he, snatched. Those Levi's are working yeah. overtime. Yeah, like the baseball booty thing. You know I love a baseball butt. Uh, Danny, uh, still in his Tony trance, writes red rum on the door with lipstick while holding a knife. Wendy wakes up uh, and sees the reflection in the mirror says, Mad, yeah, just as Jack begins smashing into the apartment with an axe. Wendy locks herself and Danny in the bathroom and tries to get out the window, but the sill is blocked by snow. She sends so Danny sad. out. Take it out. And she's like with her the knife and like her yeah. yeah she's, and then Danny just like slides I just, right like, down. I don't think that she would really hold a knife or run this way. Yeah, she's running like well, she's frantic. Uh, so okay. Excuse me, that was a big that's group. so gross. Um, You're disgusting. Um. <laughs> She tells him to run and hide. Jack gets into the main door and starts hacking at the bathroom door. We get the famous, here's Johnny. Upsetting. Uh, Upsetting. Hearing Halloran's approaching snowcat, Jack heads downstairs and immediately kills the best character, Dick Halloran, with an axe to the chest. I just feel like... Why? He probably... Okay, this was he, admittedly he probably shouldn't have walked around the hotel yelling hello is anybody there like you know something's wrong right true uh but Danny that's, sees it's it unbelievable up. that Dick Halloran would do that because Dick Halloran has the shining he is ESP he's smart yeah. like he is super attuned this comes into the theory that I okay, you know, okay. it's a theory 
But I think mostly just like Stanley Kubrick also wasn't thinking about. Uh, Danny sees it unfold in his vision and Jack hears his scream and sees him run from his hiding spot. Wendy is totally confused, of course, and running in the totally wrong part of the hotel. And while looking for, oh God, <laughs> for Danny. get to that part of the hotel? <laughs> um, she's looking upstairs and sees uh, the bear costume blowjob. That is Jack chases. chilling. I, yeah, as because I've seen this like so many times and when I was such a young kid I really didn't it cl- it took so long for me You're like, it to click to me doing? what they were doing <laughs> yeah and nobody explained it to me of course Jack I mean, it's chases yeah uh, Jack chases Danny through the hedge maze but Danny outsmarts him by going over his own tracks in the snow to confuse Jack Wendy finds Halloran's body and encounters ghosts and haunted visions including a friendly murder victim, a skeleton party, and blood elevators. The skeleton party times. is super ridiculous. I kind of liked it though. Yeah, it's like kooky. Uh, Wendy and Danny escape in Halloran's snowcat and Jack dies of exposure in the maze. We end on a shot of the Overlook Hotel's July 4th party of 1921 where Jack is clearly in the front of the shot. The end. Oh my gosh, a true masterpiece. Um, I don't think they could have put appropriative, like, Apache and Navajo motifs on any more surfaces. They were everywhere. Um, To Kubrick's credit, he did do extensive research on the tribes that lived in the area. So I think that the Navajo imagery is pretty much accurate. Um, and the Apache and Navajo tribes did live in Colorado, but holy cannoli. I, yeah, I mean, it's, but that's also part of the, like, you know, the whole Calumet argument is not that yeah. he was, like, trying to hint at this, like, the indigenous genocide. It's like, this is what white people do. They take things that look pretty and they make them their own and they appropriate them and put them in their fancy hotels. That's reality. So do you think that it's a... Uh kind of like satirical approach to like indigenous appropriation from Kubrick because I mean arguably Kubrick is a genius but right. I don't think that all of the theories like put forth in room 237 hold water although clearly there's a connection to indigenous appropriation and indigenous like motifs and I do think like for example this sort of like horror movie scapegoat of the Indian burial ground. Like Kubrick is a more sophisticated filmmaker right. than to like use that kind of like trope. So I don't know. It's it's definitely I, extraordinarily racist against indigenous peoples, but I don't think it's like as cut and dry. He as totally like, missed the point. Yeah. yeah. It's not as cut and dry as something like Friday the 13th, where this like summer camp appropriation is like clearly offensive and clearly problematic this is just like way more confusing and nuanced well yeah because i think that he understood hopefully understood the history of it and like knew and especially in the 70s it was an awareness that like was coming into the zeitgeist that a lot of people didn't like yeah like the um indigenous occupation of alcatraz like Mm -hmm. a lot of like radicalization of indigenous populations is happening around this time for sure and so I think, yeah, I think he took that into consideration, but I wouldn't give him enough credit to say that this is a metaphor for indigenous genocide. I think no, that he's I a white guy yeah. who understands that this is something that, like, was taking place at the time, was the, like, appropriation and, um, and, like, ignorance and, like, 
our willingness to forget our atro- the atrocities we've committed, but he didn't go far enough because he didn't care to, because he doesn't care. And this, like, the problematic nature of this, like, theme running through the movie is only compounded negatively by this fucking dickhead named Bill Blakemore, <laughs> who wrote an article in 1987 called um, Kubrick's Shining Secret and is also featured in Room 237, this asshole is one of the most self-congratulatory dick faces I've ever heard open his mouth. <laughs> so his p- theory is that the Calumet baking powder, like Calumet translates, and I, I don't even think he specifies what indigenous language it is, but he says it means no. peace pipe. So the, like, this movie hinges on honest versus dishonest peace pipe treaties, which I don't, like, believe to be a historically accurate, like, and I definitely don't know how it connects to, I, we should have looked this up, but I don't know how, like, use of the peace pipe is a real thing in indigenous cultures. Is it specific but I don't to think it's like- Apache and Navajo cultures? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. So Bill Blakemore says that he knows that Calumet means peace by because of the Calumet River in Illinois. Where he grew up. And this takes place in Colorado. Colorado. Uh, and then he, so he says basically the whole film is a metaphor for the genocide of indigenous peoples, except he uses the terminology American Indians. Uh, he doesn't specify the tribal land on which it's shot or set. Um, and he is extremely self-congratulatory. I would argue Kubrick's messaging definitely um, points towards exploitation and appropriation, but doesn't cross the line of, like, condemnation of genocide in any way. Uh, And the most absolutely offensive thing that this motherfucker said, so he argues that Jack is the ever-present sort of white oppressor, and he's, you know, always been there, which isn't that big of a stretch to me. Um, His argument that is just, like, absolutely bonkers is that Bill Watson, who is the... um, Oh, my God, The assistant from the beginning of the film is Jack is essentially taking over Bill Watson's duties and that Bill Watson has a brown tint to his skin and isn't quite right. So he tries to purport that this white guy, Bill Watson, in a suit, like working in corporate America, is representative of oppressed peoples because he's slightly brown, which I don't think he is. Um, I think maybe his like great aunt was Greek or something. Like he yeah, looks he like has a black white hair. guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is an extremely like ill-informed and offensive take on this movie, and Bill Blakemore needs to get like dragged to like filth hell. for this. Dragged to hell and filth. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when he said that, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Also, like, there like, is one person of color in this movie, and yeah. he doesn't get any, anything. He gets no, like, no. his only character is that he likes sexy ladies and has ESP. That's his character. So bad. Uh, and also, like, obviously there's, it's referenced as being Navajo weavings all across the uh, hotel, and Navajo mm-hmm. weaving is um, major, but it wasn't not like weaving isn't intrinsic to Navajo culture. There are like 
there are legends around it, but it was something that was adopted later and learned from Pueblo tribes and Pueblo peoples. So the actual origin of these weavings and patterns is erased. Um, and the mm-hmm. two tribes that they reference are mentioned only one single time. Um, so this is exploitative, offensive. If Kubrick was trying to do something, he did it clumsily and poorly. And he mm-hmm. isn't like, <laughs> he's not the genius everybody says he is, in my humble opinion. I think, uh, yeah, they reference his IQ, which, like, we all know is a bullshit science. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like, I think he made a masterpiece of a movie, but he, like, drops these, like, really clumsy things that are maybe intentional um, to point to something deeper, but he doesn't go anywhere near far enough. Like, him, uh, Jack says the white man's burden, which they also point out in Room 237, um, and then Wendy says something about keeping America clean, which is also a commercial oh with God. featuring a white man playing an indigenous person. Brown face. If you haven't yeah. seen this um, commercial, look it up. It was big. But it, was, it was it was like huge. a big reference to yeah, yeah. It was like this kind of like Nader era, like anti littering campaign, but uh, it's so bad. So basically, a cup a family tosses trash out of a car moving car while driving by an indigenous person in brown face played by a white person uh, wearing like a pocahontas awful, like halloween awful. bargain basement costume yeah literally like spirit halloween and this like single tear goes down the man's face and yeah this is so, like a huge um campaign and it was yeah if you ever hear like because you know, movies from the 80s and 90s referred to it as the crying Indian or don't make the Indian cry is something that they, like, was referenced a lot. It's upsetting. It's terrible. I Yeah, any and I don't think that, like, if that was his intention, it's very clumsy. And if it wasn't yeah. his intention, it's still fucking clumsy. Uh, Should we yeah, touch on the Holocaust theory? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I okay, think, basically like, I can guy... make connections to the indigenous because of like the clear uses and appropriations of like some indigenous like the Holocaust subtext tendrils. is tenuous at best. At um best. there it is well known that Kubrick had an interest in making um a film about the Holocaust and he is of Jew was of Jewish heritage, so it is not insane that, like, some hints would be dropped, but um, the basically the theory that this movie is, um, like, just basically a metaphor for the Holocaust hinges on a German typewriter and the number 42 being repeated. Um, the German typewriter supposedly points to the sort of, like, industrial nature of the extermination of Jewish peoples, uh, it is true that there was a wave of interest in the Holocaust in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But, and there is, several times you do see the motif of the eagle, which is um, a symbol of Germany and the Nazi. It's also like, a symbol Reich. of America. Yeah, because we're basically Nazis here. So that's fine. That's <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, I think it is worth mentioning that this exists and that. Kubrick did have an interest in making a movie about the Holocaust, but when Schindler's List came out, he scrapped that planning and that it was a really like emotionally burdensome concept for him. But I just 
don't think so. I don't think, I, don't think I mean, so. maybe if you have, if you're out there listening and you have arguments as to why this holds water, please do share them. But I'm not, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm, I can't. Yeah, I can't co-sign that. I don't, that's like, oof, I don't, yeah, it just seems like taking all of these really complex, like emotional, historical facts and like, being like, he was putting this metaphor of a German typewriter that changes color halfway through, and that means that it's about the Holocaust, just seems really irresponsible to me. Yeah, and it also sort of, like, implies that it's not enough, or it's not, like, worth making a movie about... Yeah, like that's overt. That's overtly about, like, women suffering domestic abuse in their relationships, and, like, this movie is enough if you just have, like, okay, there's, like, like you said, multidimensional um, planes existing in this hotel. It's on a, like, specific nexus of energy. Literally don't need the Indian burial ground, quote-unquote. Don't need the Holocaust metaphor. Like, it's a compelling enough narrative without all of those things. And it's, like, kind of sickening to hear these people lay these theories out when this film did real-time damage to Shelley Duvall's health, you know? It's just, like, so sycophantic, like you said. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, like... a word? Sycophanatical. Sycophanatical, eh? Collection. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think, like, isn't it enough? Isn't it scary enough that men can abuse women? Men murder without, people? Yeah. yeah, without any repercussions like isn't it scary that they can abuse their families and like still pretend that they're functional members of society that's terrifying to me yeah exactly a woman being stuck in a hotel with an abusive husband trying to take care of her son that's the story like i don't know that you need to yeah shoehorn all these other theories to make it more important this is important enough i will say the one thing theory from um, actually, there's two theories that I sort of enjoyed from Room 237. One is John Fell Ryan's kind of, like, observation that there's just, like, absolute fakery in the, like, in so many elements. Like, they bring way too much luggage. There's no cord. Yeah. Like, the set is super plastic, and the, there are a million contradictions, like the hedge maze that make no sense. So it does, like, fee- it's a feeder to this, like experience of Jack's like slowly losing his mind and like Wendy and, and Danny the having, gaslighting and the gaslighting and Wendy and Danny having to fight their way out of this like absolutely unreal situation so I thought that was super interesting and then um the other person Julie Kearns who I love because she made absolutely insane maps of the overlook that are like which I want to cool see. and helpful yeah I have the link I'll send it to you um but her theory is there's a lot of references to the Minotaur, which actually, like, you can't ignore that metaphor because there is a literal hedge maze. Um, mm-hmm. So the Minotaur is uh, from Greek mythology and was created when um, I think it's one of the daughters of Zeus has sex with a bull. And then mm-hmm. the Minotaur is created from that union. And because... Um, its mother is royalty. It's not killed. It's, like, basically cast into the labyrinth where it has to survive. Um, So the idea is that Jack is, like, that sort of half-wild minotaur at the center of the maze, and uh, Wendy and Danny are sort of, like, 
yeah, like, existing around him and trying to escape him. So I think that holds a little bit of water. And it's, like, she kind of presents it as, like, hey, this is what I think. Whereas the other people in Room 237 present it as, like, these absolutes about what it means, you know? I also, like, movies have metaphors. Stanley Kubrick was, like, a masterful movie maker. He's a very smart person. And you can have metaphors in a movie without it being a conspiracy about this or that. Like, it can be a... It can use metaphors from Greek mythology. It can use metaphors... It makes from sense that our it would. Culture. Yeah. It can, yeah, that's the way that you make movies. I also think like the continuity continuity errors were intentional. Like he did a lot of editing, he did a lot of takes on purpose, but I think that's to make us uncomfortable, to make it I seem agree. like something is off. Like mm-hmm. that chair wasn't there because it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Something doesn't feel right in the rooms and the layout like of the, the hotel to make you feel uncomfortable. It's not so it's yeah, it's supposed to just make you feel like something is wrong. And it does because like there are so many things I didn't catch, like when Danny's on the hexagonal hexagonal rug and the mm-hmm. like the alignment switches shot to shot, like it's just supposed to make you feel weird, I think. And it does yeah. make you feel weird. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be uncanny. In a movie that's, like, very quiet and very, like, subdued a lot of the times, like, the big bursts yeah. of energy happen all at once. It's building to a lot. Like, all of those little instances you subtly take in, which is something that they point in, out in Room 237. Like, his... Like, the advertisements that he studied from the 60s. Like, yeah, he could have taken that just to make you feel weird. Like, he's not trying to tell you that he faked the moon landing. I don't know. I don't even want to talk about the, quote-unquote, subliminal seduction theory. So I think we can just say... We can skip it. I do want to talk about a new theory, a post-Room 237 theory that I don't, like, agree with, but I can see and I think it's kind of fun. Okay. Um, And... Puts so it's the Wendy theory, and I will tell you the YouTube where you should go watch this forty-minute uh, documentary. But um, God, you it's did a bas- lot of you did a lot of legwork, sister. Don't I love this movie. So um, it's by Rob Navarro. I think his channel is called Rob at the Movies or something. But he's only he only has a few uploads. But it's called the Wendy theory, um, and it's forty minutes long from like a, okay. a year ago. I'm so and, excited to hear it. So does this have to do with how Wendy is, like, Wendy's, like, visionary counterpart is the girls? No. That's oh. not. I think that's, that's that's just a metaphor. That's a metaphor for, like, the familial connection she feels and the protection over Danny. That's, that's why, how I see that. That's why I argue that Wendy gets fridged, because she is, like... She's, she's presented in alignment with the girls, and the girls absolutely get fridged, and the, the but wives agree. But Wendy isn't put in a box or put in a fridge or murdered in order to, like, for Jack's story to go on or for Danny's story to go on. She's the one who saves the day. Okay. She's the one who, you know, she's not being, like, put in a space and forgotten about. She has to take over and lock him in a pantry. I would, okay, I'm going to say she starts in the fridge with the door open and then she leaves it, okay? Okay, the latch is unlocked, yeah. Okay, but <laughs> right, this theory is totally theory. different. This Disregard everything I've said so far. So, Wendy, so this theory is that Wendy is the one who's going slowly insane and not Jack. And that the continuity errors outline her breaks from reality and her hallucinations. And it hinges mostly on the Tuesday scene, the scene of Jack's first outbreak where he tells her to get out of the great room. So in the, in the, it's the chair scene where the chair disappears. So um, the chair behind his writing desk is there when she first approaches. 
and then disappears while he's having his rant and then comes back as she's walking away. So this person, Art Rob, argues that um, when we see him as she's walking away, it doesn't look as if he's just had an outburst. His hair is fine. And yeah. the paper in the typewriter um, that he had just torn out is back and he goes back to quietly typing. And that it seems as if she has done something that freaked him out and not the other way around as if Wendy had gone up and had a conversation in her head and just stood there silently or that she had had both sides of the argument Uh um, in front of him. And then, which is like, this is where he argues where he first noticed it. Um, And that the, all the furniture and floor plan inconsistencies are the results of the hallucination and are clues that, she's not recalling things as they are because the minor details wouldn't matter in her hallucinations. Um, The, it's all like bullshit. It's a lot of like room 237, but the most compelling argument I think is the, uh, the scene where Danny's attacked before he's attacked in room 237 where the ball rolls to him because he says now that he, he said like, now that I'm a parent, I understand that you would want to keep your child close is that Wendy, if Danny's playing alone in a hallway, Wendy is not just like somewhere else in this giant hotel. You would want to be close to your kid while they're playing. And so when he calls out, he goes into the room, the ball rolls to him and the door is open. He goes in the room. He says, mom, because he knows that she's there. And then he goes in the room and she says some crazy ladies in room 237 and attack Danny. Yeah. That's what makes the most sense to me. And it's also, they like, um, She's also this, the only one that sees his book. We only see the book from her yeah. perspective. And that she, so they, that's another thing that they point out is that all the words, he's writing a book and those are the words, but all that she sees is all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. But she sees and the that, formatting. Yeah, she like, sees the format of the sentences. Yeah. And then the, uh, you know, the scene where the TV is playing the famous, like, no chord to the TV. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They argue that she's hallucinating there's something on the TV and Danny's just looking out the window at the snow and that's why he gets bored and gets up to go find a toy. Yeah. So there's no TV even. It's just a window. There's no TV. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And that... Yeah, it's a cool theory, right? And that, uh, so his name goes from Charles Grady to Delbert Grady because when Jack calls her on the phone and tells her this crazy story, what he tells Ullman he's going to do, he doesn't specify a first name. He just says Grady. And so she makes up her own name for the character, for this like crazy instance that she uses to make it seem like her husband, who is probably a dismissive, like, recovering alcoholic (laughs) asshole dickhead is actually going to murder their family and that's what sparks her hallucinations i didn't understand that explain it again so that she uses the story that he tells her no they're just one grady but she makes him up like she dealt the delbert grady that we see her when hallucinating ullman tells ullman doesn't tell jack the story he tells wendy no, that, okay, so the interview scene, because there's certain, so this theory outlines that there's some scenes that are real and some scenes that are hallucinations yeah. of Wendy's. And our key to that is the furniture or, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. floor plan inconsistencies. So the interview is real. We hear his name, Charles Grady, but Wendy never heard that name. 
So she, so she invents makes up her Delbert. own name so that when he, the, she hallucinates the scene of them in the bathroom together yeah. and she gives him the name Delbert Grady. Oh, that's cool. And Delbert tells Jack to murder his family because she heard that story and worries that he's going to murder his family. Ah, I get it now. I hope I'm not the it only also, dumb that didn't understand it the first time. No. I mean, I'm probably not explaining it as well as this dude in the YouTube did. But um, And then also the Dick Halloran scenes are all hallucinated. And when he calls his friend to rent a snowcat, what he says to her that Ullman called him and said that these people are assholes and they can't take care of the hotel is real. Yeah. And that he went up there to go take care of the hotel until they could find better arrangements. Oh. Yeah. I like that better so, for Dick. Yeah, me too. Although, you know, no job deserves you taking off your vacation. But so no. that was a fun and theory why that I think I like doing it. Right. I just think it's a more fun theory than uh, at least it's, it's a a, metaphor like it's for hinges around like, Wendy, Wendy and not Jack, because I don't think Jack's trajectory is all that complicated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I will say it's, like, super frustrating to see so much discourse around this film that is definitely a brilliant film, definitely a masterpiece, but the discourse is, like, very specifically leaving out, like, the racism and the misogyny, and it's focusing so much. Are you okay? There's, like, a weird noise. Sorry. I was listening, but... I don't believe you. Uh, it's from the neighbors. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just, like, why Room 237 was made in 2012, so it just seems like there should have been more sensitivity towards, like, Dick Halloran is over-sexualized, he's, mm-hmm. like, he's just, like, every very shitty stereotype that we talk about on this podcast of black men just, like, rolled into one, hyper-sexualized, yeah, magical. the magical Negro stereotype, like, there's just so many issues with his character, being first to die. Actually, does anyone else die Jack via dies. murder? Jack dies because of himself. But, like, right. he, Jack Dick is the only, like, recipient of actual, like, brutal violence. Brutal murder. Yeah. And I, like, yeah, there's a lot of misogyny, like, in the story itself and in Shelley Duvall's treatment by Stanley Kubrick, who, like, she was initially really emotionally traumatized and, pro- and traumatized forever, but she I'm emotionally traumatized for her at this point. For her. And she's since spoken highly of, like, that she got, he got a good performance out of her, but I argue that she would have given a good performance anyway. And even though Stanley Kubrick talked highly of her afterwards as well, it doesn't mean that he didn't abuse her during filming. Yeah, and I think... Like, particularly because Jack Nicholson's like, yeah, she's doing great. And then um, his uh, girlfriend at the time, Angelica Houston, a.k.a. Morticia Adams. Um, <laughs> Ooh, but, yeah, Angelica Houston's got problems of her own. Okay, that's not what we're here to talk about, and I'm actually okay, excited anyway, to hear uh-huh. that because I love her. But we'll talk about it later. Um, but she noticed, like, that... Shelley Duvall didn't seem okay. She was, like, seeming really tortured. She was extremely depressed. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the other voice that we have that is, like, a woman, a, like, feminine presence in the situation was, like, yes, yeah, she's not okay. And everyone else was, like, she's fine, you know. And there were a lot of, like, you see in, and I don't know what Vivian Kubrick was doing. Man, she's, I'm really like, bummed out. obsessed with her husband. But um, there's a lot of men on set. There are, like, mostly men on set. So... Wait, what's no wrong around. with Angelica Houston? I'm upset now. Like, 
I forget what she said. She's but a problematic. Oh no, wait, there's some bad quotes that she said. Yeah, it's like something she said on Twitter or somebody something somebody else on said. Um but uh I think Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall were also pitted against each other because Jack was Yeah. He was already a big name and Shelley Duvall was like this was her role and she wasn't being treated the same or fairly or kindly at all. Okay, it looks like um Angelica Houston is just sort of, like, picking fights with Oprah and Eddie Murphy for no reason. And I think that, you know, the common denominator there is that they're BIPOC, so that's cool. Yeah, good times. But I feel like we'll look into it, but yeah, we'll, I forget we'll exactly circle back. That. Uh, so, I know we could talk about this movie forever, but should we? Uh, I will say uh, Stephen King's A Petulant Child, as I said up He's top, he... He's a little bitch. He didn't like the adaptation. Kubrick threw out his screenplay and opted to make his own. And he was really hurt by it. He called it a nice Cadillac with no engine and didn't understand why people were afraid of it. Um, He made his own shitty made-for-TV movie that was a flop. Um, The Wendy in the book is supposed to be, like, a hot blonde. And he didn't think that Shelley Duvall was the right choice. He hated Jack Nicholson. Rude. Um... Yeah, he and I just he's a bunch of bullshit. And the Shining, so, the book is, I mean, you, you, you don't like it. At all, right? It's not good. Yeah, it's not scary. There's like a lot of it centers around the boiler and the boiler going off, and at the end, the hotel explodes or whatever, which is like not I think that it's compelling. A lot, it's not that compelling. The ghosts are a lot more like, it's not like, Ghostly. it could be a hallucination or it could be a ghost, an actual ghost. It's like very clear that it's a ghost. There's like hedge animals that come to life and like, it's just, it's not clean. It's not scary. I didn't like it. So my favorite little Easter egg that we learned from Room 237 is, <laughs> which I like, I think you can't argue with this one, right? No, like, yeah, that's really, yeah, that, so, that's not... The VW bug in the book that Stephen King wrote it as is a red VW bug, but Kubrick made it yellow in his script, um, Jack's car. And then when Dick Halloran is driving the snowcat up to uh, the hotel, there is very clearly a red VW bug that collided with a semi and is like literally crushed. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay. You made your That's point. That's a big fuck you, yeah. And Stephen King totally like came for C- Kubrick in the in the media, and Kubrick never said anything back. He's like, I literally don't care. Didn't I made a masterpiece, yeah. yeah. I yeah, this is like an enduring classic, uh, and no one reads The Shining, so so go what? fuck yourself. Go All fuck right, yourself. my dinner just got delivered. I asked Adam to send me food because. Um, I'm overwhelmed by life. So let's wrap this bitch Good up. Times. Um, what do you want to fuck this week? I mean, kind of fuck Stanley Kubrick. Sorry, bro. You're yeah. Kind of an I asshole. mean, this is one of my favorite movies, but you don't need to abuse. This is what have, we've said this before. You don't need to abuse women in order to get performances out of them. They are no, also actors. They are also professionals. They can act. Yeah. Uh, definitely fuck the like magical Negro trope and the hypersexualization mm-hmm. of black actors and actor act just actors. Sorry, we it's gender neutral uh, on screen yeah. uh, and fuck indigenous exploitation, appropriation, and erasure. Agreed. Yeah, I fuck making clumsy metaphors about like really big 
um, just issues make no and problems metaphor. that still exist to this day um, and thinking that they're like they can just be mentioned offhand and that's enough um, yeah fuck I'm gonna say it I'm gonna say it fuck Jack Nicholson from 1980 in a nice way I'm gonna I'm sure say not I'm not saying the character of Jack Torrance I feel like that's kind of what you are saying, though. No. Jack Nicholson in a pair of jeans, jumping up and down, getting ready for a scene. Those Levi's were working hard for their money. I'll say that. I feel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, next I like that he's balding and his hair is kind of long. Yeah, the whole thing. I do like the long hair with the balding. I can't lie. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. filch from uh, Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're accidentally doing... Next week, we're doing the 2006 adaptation of Black Christmas, which I'm excited about. It's so bad. I love that movie. So bad. And then we're accidentally doing another Stephen King adaptation. I know. Uh, (laughs) Another one that's better than the book. Yeah. Well, we just were, we were like, what makes us depressed? And Rebecca said misery. (laughs) And so that's what we're going with. And as you know, the Spooky Succubus cast are Kathy Bates stands. Kathy Bates for life. I love her, yeah. All right, so follow us on Instagram at spooky succubus underscore cast. And then, yeah, just use our link tree there for all the stuff. Thank you so much to our patrons that are sticking with us, even though we're kind of been, we've been a little inactive. Life is really hard. I know we say that every week, but it's not getting any easier, you guys. Truly. Yeah, every time I wake up, I'm like, fuck. Again? Again? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus, can I have a break? Oh, man, yeah, that is a drag. I got to work tomorrow. I work today, man. I don't want to go tomorrow, too. I got to work tomorrow, too. Boo. Boo. All right, we love you guys. Thanks for you next time.